All right, pull out your message notes. I have these in your program, and you should have received one of these. Pull out your notes. We're going to be talking about failures and forgiveness. We're going to take a peek into Peter's life. We're going to look at a few snapshots of his life. I want us to look at probably one of the lowest moments of Peter's life, but then I also want to look, I want to look at a high moment in his life. Now, anyone here this morning love second chances? Anybody? I love second chances. You know, when my kids were little, uh, we would play the game Sorry. And the, the way I would play board games with my kids, I didn't care if they were, you know, four, five, six, ten. Like, you had to earn every win. Anybody like that with me? You have to earn every win. I'm not giving you nothing for free, right? I mean, it's, it's like teaching. you got to teach them life lessons, right? And so when you get sorried off the game, you got to go back to start zone, right? And But, hey, it's a redo. You could get back into the game. A few months ago, um, my second oldest son, Joshua, I don't know, somehow he got connected to golf. I, I've always hated golf because um, – you know, I shank the golf ball everywhere. It's just horrible. It's bad. Well, Joshua started getting into it, and he's like, he's pulling me and his brother into golf. And I'm like, okay, I want to be a good dad. I love my kid. Let's go golfing. And uh, now we're starting to play more, right? And I'm really enjoying it. He's a really good golfer. My boys are. And But the thing that I love about golf is, especially as you're learning to play, there's a thing called a bogey. And you totally just, you know, shank the, you know, uh, the, the ball, as you could tell, I got all the golf terminology lingo. You completely shank it. You're calling a bogey, right? Oh, I got a bogey. I'm starting over, right? Um, or when you're in elementary school and you got to take a test and, and you know it's a big test, right? Big test and the teacher, you know, gives you the test and you bomb it and you know you bomb that test. But then the teacher comes back, I don't know, maybe it's Monday, test was Friday, and the teacher's like, you know what, I'm going to give everyone a second chance to redo the test. Or maybe a relationship. You ever been in a relationship where it started off great, and then maybe it, it, it turned, something happened, and it created, um, there was conflict, tension, but then God, in his grace, um, maybe brought you two back together and there's healing and there's uh, God restores the relationship. Sometimes God doesn't do that, but, but I've, I've seen so many couples where maybe there's been an affair or something and then God works through that and there's healing and there's forgiveness and restoration. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you get a second chance in a relationship. You know, Peter is a guy that received a redo. He got a second chance. He got a second chance at life. He got a second chance at, at, this, at this Christian walk, this, this Christian race. I want to give you a quick just bio, a, a little bit about the disciples, a little bit about Peter. We know that the, the night before Jesus picked his team, he, he gets alone with his father and he prays all night. And, and he's seeking the heart of the father before he builds his team. And we know he picks 12 men, 12 apostles, messengers, ambassadors, representatives, and they're going to change the world. So he selects 12 common, ordinary men, literally a band of ragtag disciples to be his apostles. I mean, if I, could, if I had time, I don't have time, but if I had time to give the makeup of this group, I mean, these people, 
you wouldn't put these guys together. Let me just say that, right? They were completely different um, ideology, political, you know, opinions, etc. When you look at the list of the apostles, the disciples, you see lists of them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the book of Acts. Three groups of four people always stand out. Same order, and same order in each group, shuffled around a little bit, but um, Simon Peter is always listed first. Judas Iscariot is always listed last. I don't think that's a coincidence. The difference between Simon Peter and Judas, and sometimes people, well, what's, what's the big difference? Well, the big difference is this about Judas, yeah, there was remorse, but there wasn't repentance. Peter, there was heartfelt repentance. There was contrition. There was brokenness. Um, uh, and, and Peter wanted to be right with the Lord. The first group of the two pairs of, of in, the, in the list is Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Beautiful story about that. We know that Andrew went and got Peter's brother and brought him to Christ. That's a, a beautiful thing. We are about the mission. We should be bringing people to Christ, introducing them to Christ. God has given you an oikos. Invest, invite, invest your life in those people. And then you see James and John. That's another pair. They're the brothers. So Jesus calls these 12 men, and he's going to use their personalities, their character, their preaching, their teaching to, to flip the world upside down. He had an inner circle of three, Simon, Peter, James, and John. And these men were the closest to Jesus. They experienced these life-changing moments with him. Now, when you look at Peter, look at kind of the landscape of his life, his birth name was Simon Bar-Jonah or Simon, uh, son of Jonas or, or Simon, son of John. He's mentioned in all four lists. Matthew chapter 10, verse 2 says, first, which means he is the chief or most important. He is the speaker, the leader of the 12. He's most prominent. He's mentioned more times in the Gospels than any other person besides Jesus. That's interesting. He gets more press than anyone else in the Gospels. Peter's life is really the making, the building of a, of a spiritual leader. He was an upfront, take charge kind of a guy. You know what I love about Peter? He was boisterous. You know, Peter was outspoken. He was bold. At times, he vacillated, right? He was impulsive. He would just make quick decisions. He was, at times, unsubmissive. He had a dynamic personality. When I think of Peter, I think of life of the party. He's a guy that, like, I would just want to hang out with, right? Get to know this guy. Um, I just think Peter was, he's just a fun guy, right? Maybe rough around the edges, right? God was doing a work on his heart, but he was a good guy. Peter was inquisitive. He was always asking questions. He took the initiative. He was always answering the questions. Remember the great confession? You know, when, when Jesus said, you know, who, who do people say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I mean, Peter was first one in, first one out. Peter would often bail before things got started. It was Peter who, at Jesus' word, you know, jumped out of a boat. Can you imagine? I mean, never in a million years would I do what Peter did. Jesus was walking on water, and, 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 and Peter calls, Jesus calls Peter to himself. And what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat, starts walking on water. Who does that? Peter. 
Peter did that, right? We know he took a sword and he cut off Malchus's ear, the slave of the high priest, during the arrest in the thick darkness of the night on that Good Friday. Peter was always asking questions, giving answers. He was involved in the action. It was Peter who said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And yet he denied Jesus three times. We know that Peter, before he started following Christ, he was a fisherman. You know, he had a lucrative fishing business. We believe that because the gospel says that, that uh, Peter and Andrew had servants. Well, if you had servants, you, you got employees. So you're doing pretty well, right? So there were fishermen, right? Blue collar, uneducated, just good old boys, right? Galilee, working hard, grinding hard, making a living for their family. They're originally from the village of Bethsaida. They later moved to Capernaum. What's interesting about Capernaum is ministry headquarters. It's where, like, Jesus' ministry started in the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Peter was married. If you remember, right, on one occasion, Jesus healed his mother-in-law with a high fever. We know that Jesus changed Peter's name, right, from, uh, from Simon to Peter, which, which means rock. In the Greek, it's Petros. In, the Arama- in Aramaic, it's, it's Cephas. Now, you might say, well, why the name change? Why did God change Peter's name? The nickname would be a perpetual reminder to him about who he should be. Jesus said, when Peter made that great confession at Caesarea Philippi, and the gates of Hades were in the backdrop, and there was just pagan, idolatrous worship, you know, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they started getting off, giving off answers. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, upon that confession, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the Catholic church believes that, that it, you know, the, the rock is, is Peter, right? But based on the Greek and the grammar, we understand, no, 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 no. It's not Peter, the person. It's Peter, it's, it's his confession. Jesus said, I will build my church upon your confession. And Jesus is building his church. He has been building his church. He's going to build his church until he takes the church home to be with him. And then he's still going to build the church. When Jesus referred, when Jesus referred to him as Simon, it was, it was a rebuke at times. It was correction. And we're going to see this later in the message. When Jesus referred to Simon, he was referring to his old self. So here you have Peter, the spiritual leader, the leader of the pack. We know that Jesus told the disciples to return to Galilee. You know, Peter, he was so impatient. He went back fishing. And we know that he ate breakfast and he was restored. And we know that God used Peter in a powerful way to preach the gospel. The birth of the church was formed and the fire was lit. And Peter preached and thousands of people heard the gospel in their native tongue. That's the amazing thing about Acts 2. People get all hung up on the tongues and the spiritual gift. Listen, yeah, that's amazing. It is amazing. But the amazing thing is every person heard the gospel in their heart language. That was, that's incredible. God was on the move. God was building his church and building his kingdom. And Peter, even though he experienced so much failure in the past, God used him in the future. Failure is never fatal nor final. You know, let, let's look at a snapshot. I, I want to I pull two things. I want to look at a snapshot of, of his betrayal 
And then I want to see what does God do beyond that? How does God restore him? And I want us to kind of weave ourselves in this story as we work through it together. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think Peter's lowest moment is when he denied Christ. Now, I want us to go back to Jesus' last final week, the Passion Week. It's his final week, and it's Thursday night. He's having a meal with his disciples. We know that he just demonstrated greatness, washed their feet, there's a meal prepared, the Passover, remembering um, the bondage in Egypt and God's freedom and the lamb and the blood on the doorposts. And so they, they just finished eating the Passover meal. And then Matthew tells us this in Matthew 26, 31 to 33. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, speaking of his resurrection, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now, what a prideful moment for Peter. I mean, can you imagine if you're one of the disciples enjoying this last supper meal, this Passover meal, and Peter says, Hey, Jesus, hey, hey, we're close. Hey, Jesus, we're tight. I don't know about these other guys, these other fellas. I don't know what they're going to do, but hey, Jesus, I'm locked in on you. I'm, I'm not going to deny you. I'm never going to fall away. He swears his loyalty, his allegiance, his passion, and his love for Jesus. I like to call this moment prideful Peter. He's so prideful. I, I, I doubt the other boys enjoyed the jab that Peter gave. I mean, if you're one of the other guys, you're thinking, really, Peter? Like, we're like chopped liver here? Like, come on, man. Like, we've been following him too. We've been seeing the miracles, Peter. We've heard the sermons. Look at verse 34. Jesus said to him, I love how Jesus checks him. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You remember what Peter said after Jesus, you know, took a laser to his heart and, and, and checked him. He said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So Peter's like, hey, listen, Jesus, I, you know what? I'm not going to deny you. And if it, if it costs me my life, I'll lay it down. The disciples start chiming in. I mean, Peter, he's up in the ante. But we know that that night, Peter denied Jesus three times. And things got really tough. When things got really tough in his life, his faith collapsed. Here's some application for us right now. Sometimes when things get tough, when God tests us with trials and circumstances, even temptations, right? It's so easy for our faith to collapse. It's so easy for, for our faith just to like shrivel up. And for us to, like, do whatever it takes to remove ourselves from the situation. And so God allows circumstances. He allows things in our lives to, to build our character. The Gospel of Matthew says that when Jesus was arrested on that Good Friday in, in, the, in the thick hours of, of, of darkness, that all the disciples left Jesus. You know, strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. But the gospel, Luke tells us that Peter followed Jesus at a distance. So here you have 
on that Friday evening in the dark, a mob of religious leaders and soldiers and temple guards, they were being led by Judas. Judas, who had spent several years with Jesus, Judas took them to a place that was customary for the disciples and Jesus. There was a familiar place. Jesus took them to the Garden of Gethsemane, a beautiful area dotted with olive trees and it's amazing. When you go to Israel today, there are some olive trees dating back like 1,800 years ago. It's amazing. It's a beautiful area. And so Judas leads these, these soldiers, and they're armed with lanterns and swords and, and clubs, and they, they arrest Jesus, and they take him to Caiaphas's house. He's the high priest that year, and they conduct a false trial because you can't hold a trial in the middle of the night. It's supposed to be public, not private. And we know that all night long he was beaten, his, his beard was ripped out, he was slapped, his face was swollen, his face was so uh, bruised and, and marred. And we know that the story of the Gospels tell, tell us that, that Peter, when, when, when this angry mob took Jesus and brought him into the city, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Peter didn't want to be too close, but he followed from a distance. And he, he went into the city, and it says that he was around the, the outside of this courtyard, and he was warming himself by the fire. But Peter did not know that there was going to be another fire that was going to come upon his life. And as he's warming himself around this courtyard fire, the questioning begins. A servant girl sees him in, in the light of the fire, and she says, this man was also with him. And, and Peter said, woman, he said, woman, I do not know him. He denied that he even knew Jesus. The second denial, someone says, you are one of them. I can imagine maybe someone pointing their finger. You're one of them. You're one of the disciples. And Peter said, man, I'm not. And he denies that he's a disciple of Jesus. Literally, he swears an oath based on the Greek. The third denial, an hour later, another person says, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. The third denial was punctuated with an, with an oath of profanity. So here's what he does. He denies who he, who he is, his identity, his heritage, that he's Galilean. So number one, he denies that he even knows anything about Jesus. I have no knowledge of him. Number two, I'm not a disciple. I am not a follower, a learner of this rabbi, this man. And then number three, he denies his family. He denies his heritage, his, everything about himself. The Gospels tell us that immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. At the third denial, Peter sees Jesus. Actually, it says that Jesus sees Peter. And it says that they lock eyes. Jesus' face is bruised and swollen and bloody from being beaten all night. And Peter is around a court fire, a campfire, and he sees Jesus. He had spent years following him. And they lock eyes. And we don't know how long that look lingered, maybe a few seconds, maybe longer. 
But I bet you in Peter's heart and in his own soul, I bet you it felt like eternity. Hours before Jesus said, I will never deny you. I will die for you. Peter, he remembers what the Lord said, that that before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And what did Peter do? It says that he went out and he wept bitterly. I want you to understand something. Peter was the leader of the pack. He was the spiritual leader. Here's a guy like he was answering the questions. He, he knew Christ was the true Messiah. He boldly declared it at Caesarea Philippi. With all this false pagan worship, Peter said, no, you, you are the Christ. You are the Christos. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And you look at this story and you look at Peter's denial and you say, wow, like, how could he endure this? This is not the end. See, in Peter's life, he didn't under, see, we have the whole story. We see the betrayal. We see the failure. We can can imagine the disappointment that Peter was experiencing, right? He, He denied Jesus. I mean, here's a guy who he maybe temporarily left a lot of things, business, maybe at times family to be, travel with Jesus. Like his heart longed to be with Jesus. He believed in Christ. But but when it when it came to that very moment of betray or or believe and have conviction, Peter failed. He failed in that moment. I can only imagine the miserable night that Peter had that night. And then into Saturday, had to have been an awful Saturday. I mean, can you imagine his heart just swelling with regrets? Regrets that uh, of his betrayal, he turned on his friend, he denied the one that he walked with so closely. Early Sunday morning, the women, they, they go to the tomb and, and they prepare Jesus's, um, the women went to the tomb in order to prepare Jesus's body for final burial, but, but Jesus wasn't there. The, the tomb was empty, and there was an angel that spoke to the women in Mark chapter 16, 6 to 8. Look at it with me. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, I want you to notice two things. Number one, I always try to highlight it when I can. Who went to the empty tomb? The women did. Where were the men? They were scared to death, locked in a room, okay? So, let's go. Come on, women, let's go, right? Way to lead, way to lead out, okay? Number two, did you notice what the angel said? The angel said, but go tell his disciples and, help me out, church, and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The angel singles Peter out. See, when I look at that, when I, when I see that phrase, but go tell his disciples and Peter, and Peter, Peter's the only one mentioned by name there. You know what that says to me? It screams God's grace. It screams God's mercy and his kindness. God is is in the business of giving second chances. Jesus knew that Peter would need to hear this. Put yourself in Peter's shoes, all time low. You deny Christ. I mean, you're reeling with just guilt and shame and, and you don't know what to do. What do you say? What do you do? It's interesting to me that Mark's gospel 
mentions this because many people believe that it's really Peter's gospel. I don't have time to look at it, but Peter mentions this in one of his epistles. We know that Mark, John Mark, who's the cousin of uh, Barnabas, he writes this gospel, but he gets this information from Peter. And, and so Mark is dictating the gospel based on Peter's own experiences of what he saw, what he heard in the life and ministry of Jesus. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? This is amazing. We know the Holy Spirit inspires the Word of God, uses personalities, right? But it's God inspired. Peter, who helps Mark write the gospel, throws in his name, right? Throws it in there. Go tell the disciples, and Peter. I love that. You know why I love that? Because it highlights the grace of God. It highlights the mercy of God. Sometimes we experience failure in our life, and we think it's final. We think it's over. Like God can't use you again. God can use you again. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter about your past. Here's what Satan does. He is a liar. He's a deceiver. And he's a roaring lion. He's gonna, and he wants to rip your life out. He wants to just rip you to shreds. He wants to strip away the joy of your salvation. And I think so many times we are, instead of living in this freedom in the presence of God, we're living in our past. We're living in our past. We, we, we're anchoring our heart to our past sins. And, and there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of stuff there. Don't get me wrong. We all got stuff there. I got stuff there. You got stuff there. But listen, Jesus died for all that stuff. He died for all that sin, right? To remove all that shame, to remove that condemnation. We don't need to live in that. We can, we can live in this, this freedom, this, this victory that, that we have in Christ. Here's what I love about Jesus and, and this story Jesus is pursuing Peter in his brokenness. This is what Jesus does. He pursues us in our brokenness, right? Sometimes we make a mess of our life and our life is shattered in, into a million pieces. And what does Jesus do? He comes along and he picks, starts picking up the pieces of our lives and he's working on our heart. He's drawing us closer to him. And it's, this is a work of the spirit. This is a work that God does in our lives. I want you to notice this. Grace meets us where we are. This is what Jesus did. He met Peter where he was. But he doesn't leave us where we are. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is Christ encounters us. He meets us where we are. Past sin, past hurt, past failure, everything, right? We encounter Christ. The gospel is not clean up your life, then come to Jesus. No, Jesus says, I'm coming after you. I'm pursuing you. Like the hound of heaven, man. He's he going to get you. That's the beauty of the gospel. God is pursuing. God is drawing. God is convicting. God is doing this, this work in your life, this saving work. And when you do surrender and you say yes to Christ and yes to the gospel, then guess what? He doesn't leave you where you're at. He starts changing you. He starts making you more like Christ. You know, I can only imagine, let me say this real quick. I think sometimes we, 
confuse things. Um, we have to understand that first resurrection Sunday, the angel, they made these announcements, and we know that Peter had a private encounter with Christ that day. The scriptures, there's no record of that conversation. We know that the, the, the restoration that Peter experiences that we're going to look at in a moment was weeks down the road. It was in Galilee. But we know that Peter and Jesus kind of circled the wagons back, and, and they talked. And um, I, I can only imagine the sorrow and the brokenness of, of Peter's heart. And I can just envision Jesus extending so much love and, and forgiveness towards Peter. Weeks have passed. He's told his disciples to go to Galilee. And at this point, John is writing this gospel. And we know at this point, based on the, 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 the dating of this gospel, John's gospel was written much later. Peter is, has been dead. So John is kind of coming in and he's filling in the gaps. He's like connecting the dots. So he's going to tell us the rest of the story. Everyone knows about Peter's betrayal. But now John is going to put a spotlight on Jesus' grace. So look at John chapter 21, verses 1 to 3. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. So Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, same thing. Um, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. A lot of people think, see, a lot of people, they forget the private encounter that Peter had with Jesus that Sunday. And they pull this out. This is weeks later. We know that Jesus spent 40 days, right, before he ascended. So at some point, Jesus meets up with all the disciples again. And then he has another conversation with Peter. So a lot of people think, oh, see, look, Peter, he stopped following Jesus. No. He had already encountered Christ. He's saying, I'm going fishing. I think Peter was like, I'm going back to what I know. Like, I'm, you know, I, maybe practically he's got to make some money for his family. He's going back to me what's comfortable, right, his identity. So he's like, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So we know kind of how the story goes, right? Jesus comes on the shore. He says, hey, boys, caught anything? They're like, no. And then he's like, hey, cast your net on the other side, right? The right side of the boat. And what, it, what happened? They, there was such a massive load of fish, they couldn't haul it in. I mean, it was such a, a massive load. But John, the apostle from the boat, he recognized that it was Jesus, and he said, it is the Lord. And what, what does the story tell us? Peter gets out of the boat, I mean, jumps out of the boat, clothes on and everything, and starts swimming towards Jesus. Beautiful picture. Look at John 21, 15 to 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus and Peter had breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. Um, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John. So he calls him Simon, not Peter. Hey, Simon, do you love me more than these? The word these, we're not quite sure what he's referring to. These may be the disciples. These may be the fishing business industry, the nets. We're not sure. But Peter's like, do you love me more than these? Maybe his career, maybe his disciple friends. We don't know. Jesus uses the Greek word agape. It's the sacrificial love. It's the love that God loves us with. This is a beautiful word, agape. God loves you with a sacrificial love. You want to know how much God loves you? God sent his son Jesus to die for you. He sent his only son to die for you. That is the wonder of the gospel. Would I give one of would I give the life of one of my boys for people that will spit that would spit on them and mock them and 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 not live for them? I would never do that. But that's what God did. That's how much God loves the world, and that's how much God loves you as a child of God. So Jesus says, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus asked Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you agape me? Two times. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. Jesus asked Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, this time, Jesus switches things. He doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word phileo. So it's the Greek word for, for friendship. I, I've tried to try to understand emotionally what that moment must have been like. When, when Jesus switched from agape to phileo, it was like I envisioned Jesus taking it down a notch and saying, Peter, Let's lay agape love aside for a moment. Let's talk friendship. Do you love me as a friend? Like you weren't there for me as a friend. Everyone scattered. You were in the courtyard, warming yourself by the fire. You denied me three times. You know, maybe, you know, maybe Peter... Maybe Jesus asked Peter three times because Peter denied Jesus three times. We, we don't know. But we do know this, that Jesus restores Peter over a breakfast meal on the Sea of Galilee. Standing on the bank of the Sea of Galilee several years ago when I went to Israel, I thought about that encounter. It's early in the morning. And it was kind of like a fog mist that came in. And what amazing about the Sea of Galilee is like you could look across it, you could see the other side. But this day, there was a lot of fog and mist, and it just reminded me of, of this story. Peter maybe being with the boys and fishing, and it's early, and then he has a campfire. One campfire, he denies Jesus. Another campfire, he gets right with Jesus. 
And it's a beautiful picture of, of God's grace and forgiveness and how God can restore us. Even though we're so, we could be so broken and we, we can, so many failures in our lives, God is so good to us. I, I don't know about you, but I love, I got to hurry. Here we go. I don't know about you, but I love, uh, anybody love a good piece of steak? I mean, a good piece of steak. Cook, cook medium, bloody, blood, blood all over the plate. If you don't, if you don't have blood on your plate, like you shouldn't be eating steak straight up. Okay. Okay. Tough crowd, Labor Day weekend. That's okay. Love you anyways. But you know, people who like drench their steak in like A1 sauce or barbecue. It's like, what are you doing? Like the vision with Peter, all things are clean. God's like, you can eat bacon and steak and the juice in that meat is just, oh, so good. I love cooking tri-tip. And getting that tri-tip like perfectly done where you slice it and the juice is just running everywhere. Mm. Get some of the burnt pieces, dip it in that juice. Anybody hungry? Tri-tip. Mm. Mm. Some garlic bread. Woo, Santa Maria. That's the way to go, John. Okay, don't get me started. So, but my wife is a fabulous cook. I mean, that's why I got the body shape that I have, right? She's, it's all her fault, right? It's all her fault. But she takes, she does these chicken meals and she takes this mallet and she bangs this chicken. I mean, she, she just obliterates this chicken. What is she doing? She's tenderizing it, right? She's getting it soft. So it's delicious. Here's what God does. God takes the mallet, the circumstances of life. And you can see it in Peter's life. You see it in our life. He takes this mallet and he works this mallet on our life. And he tenderizes and he makes us soft and, and pliable. And ultimately, God uses circumstances and failures. Hear me on this. Some people think God can't use your failures. Yeah, he can. Who said God can't use your failures? Who said God can't use your past? Your addictions. Your shame. God can use all that because he's God. The comfort that you've received, Paul told the Corinthians, is the comfort that you should extend towards other people. You could take that comfort and be a blessing to other people. So God mallets and he brings us closer to him. Let me give you a few application points. I got to hurry. Point number one, failures can be forgiven. Can I get an amen? That's good news right there. Failures can be forgiven. We are forgiven in Christ. Peter's life, he, he made a mess of his life right there for a little bit. And then Christ swooped in, gave him a second chance. The common denominator, God who gives second chances. It's, it's God. It's all God. God can use you after failure. I mean, look at Peter, his life, day of Pentecost. Do you think that Peter thought that he could be used by Jesus in that way? I can guarantee you, Peter, Peter was probably thinking, there's no way. Everyone knows all the guys they know. I denied you three times. I can't do this, Jesus. And I, I just envision in my head, like Jesus said, no, I called you. I picked you. You're chosen. And you're going to boldly proclaim the gospel. Peter was used again. I mean, he, he, under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote scripture. What a beautiful thing. Number two, victory is yours. Victory is yours. Normally, I try to weave in points throughout the message, but today I thought, let's do something a little different. Victory is yours. You can live the victorious Christian life. You know, Proverbs says, a righteous man falls down, gets up seven times. 
The Christian life sometimes is one step, two steps back, three steps up, two steps back, right? It's sometimes it's it's not whoop, 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 whoop. Sometimes it's whoop, drop, drop, up. It's there's highs and lows. Right? There's days you honor Christ, there's days you don't honor Christ. Let's just keep it real here. Not every day is going to be this this perfect race. Some days you're going to stumble. I love what my dad said last weekend. He said, I'm probably scoundrel. He's like, I just hope and pray that I can stumble across the finish line. Right? That should be our desire. Um, anyone in the room wrestling fans? Like WWE, like that kind of wrestling? Yeah, I know there's I know there's fans that you just don't want to admit it. First service, we got some diehard fans. Like they every Sunday, I'm going home to watch wrestling. I mean, they're like diehard. When I was a kid, I loved wrestle, re- wrestling. I mean, wrestle, um, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, the British Bulldogs, Bret the Hitman Hart, the Bushwhackers, you know. But Hulk Hogan was he was my man. He was the man, right? He stood for, like, courage and, and uh, justice. And I would remember my dad would wake me up in the middle of the night. Like the, these WrestleManias would come on really late at nighttime. So he would wake me up without telling my mom. And we would go downstairs, and we would we'd have these big bowls of ice cream. If you know anything about the Rimsteads, like, we don't, we don't mess around with ice cream. We big bowls, big bowls of ice cream. And I remember being a kid, and me and my dad would watch these WrestleManias together, and I'd be like, I'd be rooting for Hulk Hogan. And they're, they're, he would win most of the time. But the, the matches he didn't win, oh, alligator tears streaming down my face. I was, I, and then I had to go to bed and go to school the next day. It was brutal. But in case you don't know, those matches are fixed. It's not real. They're not real. Okay, sometimes people think they're real. They're not real. Here's the deal. <laughs> is that Carlos or Adrian? Thanks, Adrian. You threw me, man. So they're fixed. They're predetermined. Behind the stage, they figure out, okay, you're going to win because this is the drama. This is the narrative. Here's what we're going to do. The winners aren't fighting for victory. They're fighting from victory. Here's the deal. Last time I checked, we win. I, I, I Revelation 22, Jesus wins. Justice and righteousness will reign supreme. We will be with Christ for eternity. And because Christ wins, we win. We're not fighting for victory. The, the, there's a daily battle. I'm not going to minimize that. There's a daily battle. Oh, it's, it's taking place in my soul, and it's taking place in your soul. But the war has been won. And Satan knows it. The place that Satan got kicked out of, he got kicked out of the beauty and the glory of heaven is our eternal home. Do you think that makes him furious? I can guarantee you it does. Here's point number three. I got to wrap up. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. In the midst of failures and disappointments and maybe drifting away from Christ. You can get your life right. Look to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
You can't run someone else's race. You have to run your race. You got to drop the weight, drop the burden, right? Drop the shame, the, the sin, and run the race before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, you might be saying, man, I'm struggling with my past. The writer of Hebrews says, drop, drop every weight. Drop it. As Jesus hung on the cross, seven sayings of the cross, one of them is, it is finished. It's actually one word in the Greek language, and it means complete. This word um, in the Greek was used back in the day when a painter painted a masterpiece. And this painter would give the final last stroke. And he would stand back and he would look at the painting and he would say, it is complete. Or when someone owed a lender a debt, when the debt was paid off, the lender would stamp a note. It is paid in full. It is finished. It is complete. Jesus took all your sin and he said, it's paid in full. Don't live in the past. Look to Jesus and run the race. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for your grace. Father, we're so unworthy of your love and your grace and your mercy, but yet, God, you just keep pouring your love and your goodness and your kindness in our lives. Father, at times we're so faithless, but yet you are so faithful. You remain so faithful, so strong, so loving. Father, thank you, God, for our position in you that we are forgiven. We're part of your family. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. God, maybe someone is like Peter. They have, maybe they haven't denied you, but they've maybe walked away from you. Maybe they've drifted. God, I pray that you would draw them back, God, today by your spirit. Do a work, God, that only you can do in someone's life. God, maybe someone here today is curious about who you are and how much you love them. God, I pray that they would understand today that they're a sinner and that they're broken and that they need you, your grace and your love. Father, you tell us that if we cry out, if we call out to you, you will forgive us. Maybe someone today needs to just cry out to you, acknowledge that they're a sinner in need of your grace, and that today they commit their life to you. They believe that your son died for them, was buried and rose again. Today, today they start following you as a disciple of Christ. God, speak to us. Help us, Lord, not to be so fixated on our past failures. Help us to, to know that the war has been won. Help us to do battle every day. But this battle is about keeping you in the forefront and running this race with our eyes fixed on you, knowing you're the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we love you. 
And we pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.